Good morning. This is All People's Church coming to you from Flagstaff, Arizona. Today is May 22nd, 2022. We're continuing our study of 2 Corinthians verse by verse today. We are doing the second part of 2 Corinthians, the seventh chapter. Twyla, would you begin reading? Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulations. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you are sorrow, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, and what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoice exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For in anything I have boasted in him about you, I am not ashamed, but as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And the affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the word this morning. Paul mentions the word sorrow and godly sorrow several times in this chapter. What's he talking about? Well, he has, he has corrected the Corinthian church through his own letters and also through the sending of Titus to the church. So we're going to delve into this today. How is it that correction has brought sorrow? And Paul talks about godly sorrow. The theme of our lesson today is found in the title of it, 
And it is, verse 10, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Denise, would you begin by reading verse 10? For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Godly sorrow in the saved and unsaved, let me start and say that again. Godly sorrow in the saved and unsaved is good and not to be regretted. Let's talk about it. It is the feeling of shame and remorse we rightfully feel when we know we have hurt God by our actions and dishonored the price he paid for us. Why is it good? Isn't that what Paul says? He says it's not to be regretted. Godly sorrow has a benefit. It can and should produce repentance. That's the benefit. Secondly, godly sorrow leads to salvation in the lost or unredeemed. There is a normal sequence to a person's salvation and it can be comprehended in three parts. I talk about salvation a lot because it's fundamental to understanding Christianity. And we're going to go over it again today. And hopefully, by going over it regularly, using different scriptures to illuminate it, and also using slightly different terminology, over time, you're going to just have a rock-solid understanding of it, not only yourself. I mean, you can experience salvation without fully understanding it. Most people, when they're saved... They don't understand salvation scripturally. I mean, they realize something has happened to them and it's good and the results are beneficial, but they might not be able to explain it in a way that is understandable to someone else. But over time, by studying the Word continuously, we can become very knowledgeable and adept at explaining salvation. It's very useful. Let's begin by talking about the three parts of salvation and see if we can really enjoy the knowledge of it. First, they, being the unsaved, must come to a knowledge of God. They must acknowledge that He is and that He exists. That's fundamental. This is clearly our responsibility as people of God to be ready and willing to talk about Jesus according to the Scriptures. Romans 10.14 says, now then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Yeah, so this is, this is an acknowledgement that we have a place in God's plan of salvation. And our place is to tell others about Christ. In fact, Jesus said, in addition to telling others people about Christ, our job is to make disciples. So not only do we want to see them converted, but we also want to be the source of mentoring them and guiding them into a deeper walk with Christ until they become disciples themselves. Number two, they must understand that they are sinners separated from God with no remedy in themselves. Romans 3.23, Clint. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's a famous scripture. Then It's part of the Roman road to salvation, but it's one of those that you can commit to memory so that when you're talking to someone, you can relate scriptures to the concepts that you're trying to teach them. This is also our job. They must understand that they are sinners separated from God with no remedy in themselves. 
This is also our job, but it is not necessarily verbal. The way we conduct ourselves, the manner and words of our mouth, the irrepressible joy, the separate and sanctified life we live are all in stark contrast to the sinful and selfish life. The way we live proves the power of the cross. Our lives shout loudly that there is a way. Our very lives are a testament, a testifying of the power of Christ. We, by our lives, say there is hope. That's one of the things that this world does not have much of. It has, does not have much in the way of hope. And in fact, most people are quite pessimistic, at least in the overall sense. 1 Peter 3.15, Daryl. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That verse, Daryl, is another famous verse. It's really easy to remember in the sense that it's almost like 3.16 is 3.15, 1 Peter 3.15. But it talks about what we can do verbally, and it relates to the first the first point, which is they must come to a knowledge of God. They must acknowledge that he is and that he exists. We can help them by being willing to talk about God, talk about the hope that's within us. And the second part, which I talked about, which they must understand they are sinners, separated from God with no remedy in themselves. The reason that I say and I emphasize the nonverbal ways that we do that is because People don't want to be told they're a sinner. They might come to that conclusion on their own and not be resistant to it. If they see the difference in your life as opposed to their life, they see the fruit that you bear, the good things happening in your life, even in the midst of, it doesn't mean that Christians don't have issues. It doesn't mean that Christians don't have problems. But the way that Christians deal with those things is entirely different than the way the world deals with their issues most of the time. And for example, we almost, we should, and almost always do handle things out of love. That's different. They see it. They know it's different. But as Daryl read, we should also be ready to talk to them. We should be ready to testify to them verbally also. Number three, they must repent of their sins and confess the Lord Jesus. When you talk about salvation, you want to make it as simple to understand and as, as simple to explain as you can, there's really three components in my mind. You may, you may want to add something else in there if the Holy Spirit leads you or if you study it deeply and that's okay. But I tried to keep it just down to the very bare minimum of components that are required for you to be able to explain salvation and for someone to be able to understand it. So the third is they must repent of their sins and confess the Lord Jesus Christ. That is just fundamental. Romans 10, 9 and 10, please. And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confess, confession is made upon, unto salvation. So guys, if you thought, well... You know, I would love to be able to explain salvation to a coworker or family member or something like that. 
someone that's, that has expressed interest in the life you live, that has expressed interest in Jesus Christ himself? Well, remember Romans 3.23 and Romans 10.9 and 10. You can do a lot of good with just two verses. So godly sorrow is extremely beneficial for both the saved and unsaved. To the one, it leads to sanctification. Those of us that are maturing in Christ, it leads to sanctification. And to the others, those that are unsaved, it leads to salvation. Godly sorrow. Verse 11, Denise. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things, you proved yourselves to be very clear in this matter. Titus, his words, his prayers, his manners, his saturation in the Holy Spirit were very likely critical to the good result in verse 11. I believe Titus was the living, breathing answer to Paul's prayers for the Corinthians. To me, this is an indication that the Corinthian church was salvageable. People in churches who, when confronted with issues, exhibit concern, prayerfully repent, and incorporate change show that they are mature enough to take criticism and correction and grow. That's really important. He says, in verse 11, which Denise read, he says, For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. And then he talks about what the result was. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. When I think about that, you, you might think, well, what does he mean by that? I think what he means is there were things going on in the church that you might not even known about. But once I made, it, made you aware of it, you began to take action. You cleared yourself of being responsible or in some way aiding or abetting this type of behavior. He says you cleared yourself. What indignation, right? At the, inside the church, there was indignation over this particular sin that was occurring. What fear? When he talks about what fear, I'm, I'm certain he's talking about what fear of God this showed. Vehement desire, desire to do the right thing. Zeal, zeal for God's word, zeal for God's house, zeal for the purity of the congregation even. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Once again, I want to say, to me, this is an example of perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Remember, that's from verse 1. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. It's an incredibly important phrase. He says, in this case, in an entire church, not just one person we're talking about, but an entire church, can you see that it took energy and effort on everyone's part, not just the ones guilty of sin that Paul exposed? Verse 12. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. I want to emphasize that last phrase. But that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. The last phrase is an important concept. The church needed to know that someone was observing. 
Someone was taking note. There was a dedicated overseer who was not going to let things continue downward and who was not going to let things be swept under the carpet. He says, you needed to know that as a church, that you were under my authority and under my oversight. So he says, this, this is okay. It happened. We dealt with it. You reacted properly. You had godly sorrow. It had all the proper results that we would want it to have. And secondly, it also re-emphasized to you that you are under oversight. Verse 13. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Doing the right thing is the greatest form of respect and love. Jesus said in John 14, 15, that's another easy one to remember, John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I'm paraphrasing that. I think both Titus and Paul felt loved and respected by the result of what happened in Corinth. Verse 14 and 15. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so, our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all. How with fear and trembling you received him. When correction is done in love, this can be the outcome. Paul made plain the boundary of God's word and the congregation heeded it. They were made sorrowful, but were not harmed. Verse 16. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you and everything. In conclusion today, I would like to speak for a moment more about correction. I'm not hung up on correction, guys. <laughs> it's just an important concept, that's all. Correction is very valuable. Can you see that it was very valuable to the Corinthian church? Healthy personal boundaries are conducive to accepting and giving correction and are the reason we talked about it so much last week. Mentorship in business or discipleship in Christianity includes the dual ideas of instruction and correction. Correction is an ancient and accepted concept. Proverbs 6.23, you might want to make note of this. For the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To me, the phrase, reproofs of instruction are the way of life, have a double meaning. First, as borne out from the succeeding verses of chapter 6, it means God's commandments and laws, if heeded, will keep you from evil. You can read it for yourself later today. Read chapter 6 of Proverbs. Secondly, to me, it also means that reproofs of life are the way of life. That is, reproofs are normal and expected. There is no necessity to be offended when corrected. Now, are we sometimes? Yes. As a younger man, I was always offended when I was corrected, but not so much as an older man. One of the most obvious examples of maturity is the trait of being able to handle criticism and correction calmly and without emotion. Correction and advice can come from many sources, 
We can often more easily accept correction from a stranger or from a book than from an acquaintance or friend or loved one. Sort of sad, but it's true. But however or by whomever the correction comes, the church or the servant of Christ who cannot accept correction, I'm saying this is, this is a very negative statement I'm making. I don't like to make negative statements, but this one is required. And I'll start over. But however or by whomever the correction comes, the church or the servant of Christ who cannot accept correction borders on worthlessness for the kingdom of God. I know that's a tough statement, but it's true, and there's, there's no way to get around it. Additionally, take it from me. <laughs> take it from me. Correction and advice is way better than rebuke and chastisement. And if you continue not heeding correction, trust me, chastisement and rebuke are on the horizon at some point because the Holy Spirit doesn't let any of us skate. In the words of King Solomon found in Proverbs 9, 9, give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. Finally, Perfecting holiness in the fear of God is an important goal for the mature Christian. The realization of it largely depends on our willingness to receive correction from the Holy Spirit. Can I say that again? Perfecting holiness in the fear of God, from verse 1, is an important goal for the mature Christian. The realization of it largely depends upon our willingness to receive correction from the Holy Spirit. He will speak. If you're not hearing the correction of the Holy Spirit, check to see if your hearing has been dulled by sin and selfishness. The remedy is prayer. Prayer opens the lines of communication to and from heaven. So make a determined, relentless effort to read God's holy word and to pray each day. If you want to perfect holiness in the fear of God, you now know the way. Continue listening if you would like to know more about All People's Church or if you would like to learn more about salvation through Christ. Amen. <laughs> Amen. This message has been brought to you by All People's Church of Arizona. We are a virtual church headquartered in Flagstaff. If you have found this audio message to be useful and you would like to join us for our Sunday service, please find the Zoom link on our website at apcofaz.org. Our service starts at 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. If you would like to know more about eternal life through Jesus, continue to listen for more information. The first and most important step to eternal life through Jesus is to accept Him as your Lord and Savior. It is an act of the will. The basics of salvation or reconciliation with God the Father can be summarized in three statements. First, you must understand that we are all spiritually dead, that is, separated from God, and cannot be reconciled to Him on our own. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and have no means to atone for our sins. We have no remedy. Second, you must believe in your heart that Jesus is the one sent by God. The Bible says in John 20.31, But these are written, speaking of the signs that Jesus did during his earthly ministry, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The sacrifice of his son was God's plan for salvation for all humanity. Our only part in this plan is whether or not we will believe it and accept it. Third, confess with your mouth. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, it is written that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Essentially, this is very simple. It means you must pronounce your faith to God in prayer. There is no right prayer. Prayer is conversation, so say to God what is really in your heart. Many sample prayers include affirmative statements concerning the three points above, such as this one. Father in heaven, I have sinned against you. I have hurt other people and I've hurt myself. I believe you sent Jesus to die for my sins. I accept your gift of salvation. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Help me to love and live as a follower of Jesus should. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Finally, go to church on Sunday to strengthen your faith. Accepting Christ Jesus as your Savior is the first step, but the journey of faith is a long one. There is much to learn and you will need friends to help. We would love for you to attend All People's Church and become part of our fellowship. As noted above, it is as easy as clicking on the Zoom link found at apcofaz.org. Contact me by Facebook Messenger or by email at apcofarizona at protonmail.com for more information or to talk about faith in Jesus Christ. My prayers are with you, and I hope to hear from you. This concludes our message for today.